All right, man. What is up? Oh, you know, chilling. So I thought the three things that are most on my mind these days have been the iPhone X, mm-hmm. the World S series. Okay, good. And the movie Thor that mm. I believe we both have seen recently. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok. All right, good. Well, let's uh, let's talk about those three things. Maybe maybe as a preliminary statement, though, at the end of this episode, when we start talking about Thor Ragnarok, it will be spoiler rich. Yes, spoiler alert. However, there will be another warning so that you can listen to the entire show without up until that point. That's right. That's right. So uh, the iPhone 10. That's where we're beginning. Yeah. What are, What are your sort of preliminary thoughts about it? What have you thought about? Well, the thing that the thing that's my probably my number one concern is the cost. Mm-hmm. It's really expensive. How expensive is it? It's like a thousand dollars. Wow, American. <laughs> yeah, a thousand Earth dollars. Wow, that's uh, that's like a lot more in Canadian. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, is it worth it? Do you think to spend that much money on a new device? Well, I had this conversation with a friend of ours yesterday uh, on the subway when we saw the phone in the wild. I asked, what would you spend $1,000 on? Just to get some sort of gauge here as to what does merit that much money. And his response was yeah. a computer. Hmm. So I thought to myself, a computer it merits that much money, but why not your phone? You use your phone a lot more than you use your computer. Yeah. But I guess the difference is what? You can't do, you can't do well, things that you do for school on your phone as much? A phone is a computer. A phone is a computer. I mean, it seems... Especially these iPhones. These are... Their specs are as good as a lot of computers. Right. So it seems like if we're comparing the phone to other phones, it seems overpriced. If you're comparing the phone to perhaps computers, it seems normally priced. So is this a phone or is this a computer? Yeah. But I mean, comparing it to like the other phones, I think that's an appropriate way to look at this Mm -hmm. because this is an extreme jump from all of the other ones. How so? Well, let me pull up Apple and see if I can find a cost. Uh, the 4.7 is going from 549. The 5.5 is from 669. Wow. So they're still they're still really expensive devices. Mm-hmm. Is the is but the difference of $400 worth it to go from a 7 to an X? To 7 to a 10. Cuz there's also the 8 and the 8 I think is just a couple hundred dollars cheaper. Here we go, 699 to 799. That's the 8? Yeah. So an 8 plus is $800, but an X is 1000 Yeah, so that's not that big of a jump. Mm-hmm. It's not. But from the 7. Yeah, well, so the question for us is not, I mean, I always struggle with this is because money is not something that's readily available for me. And so yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to justify new purchases anyway. Um, <laughs> and... You know, with my SE, I, de- I definitely have a usable device, and I, I find myself right now, as I try to think about my my desires to buy new things, oftentimes, if I think about this new phone, it's not it's not a ne- it's not a need, it's not something that I need yeah. for for any upgrade. So, I don't think justifying even you know a six hundred dollar purchase is feasible because I don't need a new phone, regardless of the price yeah. of the phone. If I needed a new phone, then I think the conversation changes as to which phone. Yeah. And I think anything is fair game, depending on what my needs are. Yeah. Well, let me push back on that a little bit. Okay. One of the guys in my community is rocking an iPhone 4. Okay. I think. It's weird looking <laughs> and small. Yeah, it doesn't have the extra row. It doesn't have anything. It's just a little... <laughs> it's like a Nokia phone. It's an, it's an iPod. <laughs> uh and he still uses it. He still likes it, but it takes him literally forever to do anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's really inconvenient. He can't really do. Um, I don't think he can really do maps. Um, it's clear that this is. It's time for him to upgrade. But if it's still meeting his basic needs, should he? Mm-hmm. And if it's and if it's going to cost hundreds of dollars. Yeah, I think going back to an earlier conversation we had where my spiritual director said, change the change the question. The question shouldn't be, when is the right time to change? The question should be, what is your relationship to the material things? And yeah. if there's a disordered attachment to uh, new things, there's a problem. If there's a disordered attachment to older things, there's a problem. Because there's a disordered attachment to things, hmm. period. 
Hmm. Yeah. So if if you have a disordered attachment to something just because it's not the new thing, that's as bad as me having a disordered attachment to a thing just because it's new. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And I think it's important also to keep in mind that, you know, our poverty is very different by its nature. We don't just eschew things right. for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. There's that indifference that you were talking about. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I've been, in a society, I've always been told as a Jesuit that, you know, if you need a thing, get the thing that you need. And so the challenge yeah. is not in terms of a numeric value for poverty and trying to figure out how much money it is that you're saving on the whole. But the question is, in, instead, are you spending wisely for the sake of yeah. the mission, for the sake of the glory of God, whatever it is that, that you're after, yeah. are you spending wisely or are you spending just because you can spend? Right. Which is tough because retail therapy is a, is a fun thing. <laughs> yeah. I just bought a, a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here's, to, to put it in more sort of like strict terms, is there a form of idolatry when money is not spendable? In other words, I think often we think about money as like an idolatry about money in terms of like, I want to have money so I can spend money, but then yeah. I don't want to spend money and I want to spend as less as possible. It seems like there's there's a certain form of idolatry there as well, like the kind of hoarding mentality yeah. that money should not be spent. Right, right. I think another element aspect of this, we saw this with a guy that we lived with a couple of years ago who refused to get an iPhone. And what changed his mind? Uh, he met poor people who have iPhones. Yeah. Everybody has these devices. And so if we're going to have some sort of anti-technology become our idol, then we're not meeting the needs of the people. Right. So as long, I mean, as long as we are open to being wrong first, uh, and yeah. also... Go to confession. Right. Go to confession. If I, if I have it... No, seriously. I mean, if I have... If I am being motivated out of a certain affection for material goods solely because of a desire to hoard material goods, a desire to compare myself according to the standard of material goods, uh, whether or not I have any freedom in the face of these material goods. If I don't, if I can't genuinely say, yes, I am free, then there's a problem and I need to find some kind of conversion away from this attachment. But once I'm free from that attachment, then it just becomes this kind of non-issue of, we'll just get the thing that you need. Because yeah. if it's useful to you. Well, but I think we also run into a problem there. What does that look like on the outside? Oh, the witness factor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pe- people see us getting nice things all the time. Mm-hmm. And we get judged for that. <laughs> we do. And actually, yeah, I mean, there was... So this this came... This has been a sort of perennial question in my life as a Jesuit. Because even as early as the novitiate, when we were discerning which computers to get... I remember yeah. not even wanting to get a Mac at that point in my life because yeah. I was worried about how it would look. Yeah. And people kept saying, like, you know, it's not about the appearance necessarily. It's about the usefulness of the thing. And you're paying for quality. And I said to myself, I said to myself, you know, that's the same rationale that would justify us not buying Toyota, but buying Mercedes. Because yep. Mercedes are, you know, they're more reliable. They're not going to break down as often. So... Why don't you just invest big, buy, buy nice or buy twice, right? Yeah. Yeah, that works to an extent until you're dealing in Mercedes. <laughs> well, then how, did you know, how do you know that that's your limit? Where is the limiting case? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's something that I struggle with. Mm, yeah. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this iPhone thing. You know, it's like my broken phone, I am due for an upgrade. I don't think that I'm going to go for the 10, but what do I do? What are your... Because if I, do, if I do go for the 10, what kind of a witness is that going to be? Mm-hmm. If I keep my broken phone, people are just going to think I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. How you judge the witness factor is tough. So do we have any examples, uh, whether in the Gospels or whether in our own tradition as a religious order, like, is there anything that we can point to that is... I don't know, sort of a guidepost in this regard of what is witness versus what is just need? Um, I think for me at least, St. Robert Bellarmine was always a kind of an important role model for that. You know, this archbishop made cardinal, um, even this whole, all the while living in the, in the palaces and the nice, with the nice clothes and all of that. 
he never used any of it. And in fact, he oftentimes um, brought in homeless people mm. off the streets and gave them things from his from his apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when he died, they found his like nice vestments, his nice robes and things, basically unused. Wow. He just had the one set that he wore. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that for me is a, is a sort of an ideal of Jesuit poverty that he lived amongst amongst the sort of wealthy and opulent yet remained true to his vocation to his vow right that's good no that's good and i mean he was able to receive receive gifts right to live in a certain milieu while remaining detached from those things possessing him right the yep yeah you know he he was able to own the objects the objects never owned him yeah um now i i think that this it still pushes on the distinction between indifference and poverty. Like we we are called to be indifferent in the face of material things, but is our vow one of indifference? Right? Is our vow one of detachment? Yeah. And you know, I mean, there's a tradition beyond the Society of Jesus that is, you take a vow of poverty. And yeah. does poverty look like Bellarmine for us? Well, we're not cardinals, so I mean, how? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I think yeah. the witness factor is yeah. still big. Like, I yeah, I think that there's a there's a tension here because I can think too much about how I come off and how I am perceived, and that can become debilitating. Yeah, because yeah, if especially since we're always looking at the question of what do I need, you know, I can always reduce that down to the bare minimum. And then I'll be miserable and unable to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. How do we get over that sort of, I don't even know what you would call it, um, sort of extreme extreme idealism, mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah, I don't know, man. I have no good answers for this. This is something that we're going to have to keep coming back to. Uh, yeah. And it's something that we have to keep feeding into our, into our own reflection about our our attachment to things, is how often it is that we... Just see the new thing, and we don't even maybe like maybe the fact that we're even talking about this is evidence enough that we're trying to exercise our vow, you know, with integrity. Which is, you know, are we even thinking about what we buy? And obviously, the answer is yes. So, like, if there's a failure to even think about it, then there's an obvious failure to live the vow. Yeah, yeah, you have to be able to acknowledge a thing before you can reflect on it. Right, and if we're at least, this, I mean, at least maybe as a starting point, that the first level of this is, are we are we even thinking or reflecting or discerning about it, or is this just I buy because it's the new thing. So I don't know that anybody that knows the two of us and thinking about the two of us would throw out the term sports fan <laughs> describing either of us. No. Is that yeah. is that a fair, That's fair assessment? That's fair. That's fair. But I know us. <laughs> so. Yeah. You 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 do. So something big just happened in the world. That's right. The Houston Astros just won the World Series. Dude, dude, do you know where I'm from? I know. <laughs> yeah. I so I am from Houston, Texas, man. Yeah, I know. So but that's but see that raises the question for uh-huh. me. At what point does it become is it is it about the sport or is it about sort of rooting for your hometown? Dude. Dude, that's tough. Um well oh. now I will say I am not from Houston. Mm-hmm. I'm from just a little ways north of there. Mm-hmm. Um I was rooting for the for Houston just because it, for me, at least, it wasn't so much about Houston pride, but we've got Texas in the World Series. That's pretty cool. Texas is in the World Series, but also I think one of the things that was unique this time, you know, just like in 2001 when the Patriots won after after 9-11, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, they won the, the Super Bowl, or when the New Orleans Saints in 2005 won yeah. the, uh, the Super Bowl after Katrina. Yeah. There's something about a city rallying together after yeah. a tragedy that's really cool. You know? Yep, yep. Yeah, that's sort of the best use of sports, I think. Yeah. Is to is to unite the people. Absolutely. You know where there's a real sense of like Houston is in the World Series, not the Astros are in the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. And that was cool, you know, and as a Houstonian it's like I I've liked baseball for a long time. I'm just not a big like you were saying, I'm not a big sports person in general, but I I've liked baseball. I used to play baseball as a kid. Um and for me there's something really exciting about seeing you know, I, I went to Astros games as a kid. I even joined. <laughs> did I tell you this? I was a Cub Scout. I was a Cub Scout. <laughs> oh, so were you? I was a for for how for how long were you a Cub Scout? <laughs> well, the Astros were playing <laughs> in Houston on a Saturday, 
Uh, uh-huh. Right around the time that they were recruiting new Cub Scouts, and it was going to be Cub Scouts get in free at the Astros. Uh-huh. And so I joined the Cub Scouts so that I could go to the Astros that weekend for free. Uh-huh. So I was a Cub Scout for like 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a really good use of your of your scouting Dude, career. I've been life hacking since I was a, a Cub Scout. <laughs> since... <laughs> Since I was a Cub Scout. Since you were a Cub Scout. That's right, man. Yeah. That's right. I like that. Once a Cub Scout, always a Cub Scout. <laughs> yeah, I was a Cub Scout, too. Were you really? Yeah, it was more than 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've been a fan of baseball since then, and that you're right. It's There's something about uniting the city, uniting the people, that this is a sport that's about, like that's great. Sports can do that. There's another thing that happened yeah. this week that I found to be particularly uplifting for me. Which is, and it's something else that sports can do um, along the same vein. Um, so, as you know, the Houston Astros won the World Series. <laughs> Spoiler, Spoiler alert. alert. And on Friday, my mom was telling me, my mom is a, is a school teacher in Houston. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you knew this, but there was a parade in the city of Houston on Friday. Nice. Which is awesome. Nice. Uh, a good sign of culture, you know, that we can celebrate and that we can, you know, do things like yeah. that. But I found even yeah. more so a beautiful sign that the city of Houston canceled school. What? Did you know this? No. Yeah, the Houston Independent School District canceled school in Houston. Now, I've had conversations with people where they disagree that this is a good thing. I actually think it is a uh-huh. great thing. Um, my mom is a school teacher, and she told me that she took the day off from work because you know the kids weren't coming to school because they want to give the city a chance to celebrate. Now, yeah. there are two ways of interpreting this. One was the way that I interpreted it, which is... That this is a sign that the city of Houston, or at least the people of Houston, value some things over work. Yes. And to me, that's a good sign. I think that's a huge lesson for everybody. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, although there was another point of view, and that other point of view was that um, we're glorifying sport over education. Yeah. I get that. I do. And I think... I think this is an exceptional case. Like, had Houston not been ravaged by those disasters, mm-hmm. I don't know that the same people would have had the same response. Um, I mean, it still would have been an incredible feat of athleticism, and Houstonians all over the world would have been cheering for their team. In a, in a, especially in this time, this day and age, where, and this is the part about sports that I really struggle with. These guys are paid an incredible amount of money, mm-hmm. like an incredible amount of money, mm-hmm. to play a game. Mm-hmm. I bet most of them got iPhone 10s. I bet, I bet most of them got iPhone 10s. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure they probably didn't even think and about it as much as we have. Didn't even think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, on a certain level, that's hard for me to sort of come to terms with, mm-hmm. that these guys can make so much money in a, in a time where so many people in the world are hurting because of financial struggles, that these guys get, guys get paid millions of dollars for playing a game. Yeah. I, I struggle with that on a certain level. I also struggle, you know, we've, and these days, there are all these political things happening with sports people. Football, I think, is the big one. Uh, I don't really follow that, but I've heard that this is a thing. The, the, the taking a knee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, what... And this is this is true for celebrities in general. I think what is what should our relationship be with celebrities? Are they the people giving us moral guidance, or are our religious leaders giving us moral guidance? Or are celebrities uh, religious? Well, yes, yes. Because I mean, someone can be a moral exemplar without being a moral authority. But when we're looking for well, when we are getting our moral um, guidance from these people, and they are not morally just. Mm-hmm or right, or anything, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, it, it gets... the thing, Well, the thing that I like about what just happened was that we sort of forgot all about that, all of that stuff, mm-hmm. which is great. And like I said at the beginning, this is sort of the best use of sports. Right. To bring people to forget about the things that separate us and to be united in joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. That there's something more than... Yeah, something more. Well, yeah, something more than tragedy, but also something more than... The routine. Like, for me, it was a clear indication on Friday that there was no... Like, there there was something intuitive about 
rest from work for celebration. Yes. And yes. we've talked about this before on this show is that I am a big fan of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day where culture can thrive because cult cultural festivity, you know, a way of celebration as a sign of human excellence and a sign of human creativity, like that's built into our week to where we don't do work. And I think that this is a sign in the direction that the culture is not completely ill and is not completely lost because, yeah. because we can say let's, it's, it was Friday and it wasn't Sunday, but we could say, you know, something is more important for us to do right now than for us to go to school. What's more important yeah. for us to do right now is to say that we have a unity in celebration. Now, granted, we were celebrating a group of guys that won a title that is, you know, man-made, but it's a sign. And it's not even a world championship? Well, uh, fine, <laughs> fine. But I would still say that it's a sign of a good thing, right? It's a sign of humanity trying to grasp, you know, yeah, some, totally. something beyond itself. Totally. Yeah. Yes, I completely agree. Um, no, yeah, the World Series was big for us here in Canada. I was watching the World Series in the house um, with one of our friends, Greg, who's from Los Angeles. And it was actually a great sign, too, of, of sort of friendship and how friendship can be kind of put on strain because of these competitions. But also he and I had to, like, we were watching the games together. And very frequently when things happened well for the Dodgers, I was really sad. And when things happened good for yeah. the Astros, he was really sad. And so we had to find ways of, like, yeah, being doing that together. Doing that together. That was hard. That was really hard. Yeah. Um. And even the end of it all, he was very sad, but he was also very supportive. And well, that's cool. It was very cool. But uh, it was it was funny because one of the games that was really big was uh, in Houston on Sunday last week, which was Game Five, which went to extra innings, uh -huh. and it went to it finished at like one in the morning here. <laughs> but what's funny is that that Greg and I had been staying up so long for so many games that we were like, okay, you know what? The series is tied 2-2. One of our teams is going to take the lead tonight. But we can't go to midnight because we have class tomorrow morning. Uh -huh. And so we, we made a pact, and we both said that we would leave the game at 10, at 10 p.m. Hmm. And so we chose together to leave the game at 10 o'clock and then wake up the next morning to see what happened. Hmm. It was cool. I mean, it's like kind of a cool sign of, like, brotherhood and, like, solidarity, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So do you think there's a room for – I know a lot of people that do follow sports have a hard time with what they would call fair-weather fans, mm -hmm. where people only sort of show up for the big championships. Mm -hmm. and they're not there struggling with the team the whole way through. Mm -hmm. Do you think that plays anything? Because that was me. That was me. I was watching these games, following them, and I don't really follow – I didn't follow the season at all. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have followed either of those teams. Right. Yeah, I think people should get over that. I think, I think it's not that big of a deal. It's like, I'm showing up to watch the game, bro. Like, yeah, would you rather yeah. the stadium be empty and only the like pure fans, the true fans are here? It's like, get over yourself. It's like, yeah. this is a celebration and we're here to support our team. And yeah. if you want me to sit down and watch every single game of the hundred and whatever games that baseball does since April then you're an idiot because I'm not going to do that. Like <laughs> yeah. It's too long. I mean, I would, I mean, this is my point. I, I like playoffs because things matter. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. <laughs> so, I mean, if I would much rather if like while the world series was going on, the like football season or whatever was like happening quickly so that yeah. when the world series ended, it was the super bowl right away. And then you know, while the Super Bowl was happening, like basketball is finishing up somehow so that right after the Super Bowl, then you have the NBA playoffs. It's like that way I can just watch the things that matter because it's so yeah. long. It's too long. Yeah, I agree. This might be a segue to our next topic, actually. Could it? I think so <laughs> because it's the same. So like, okay. Oh, I got you. I know where you're going with this. All right. So this is where we insert <laughs> another spoiler alert that we're going to start talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. And specifically... Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok, which we just saw. Now, my, my thing, Jonathan, is that, uh, <laughs> what, 15 movies in? How many movies have we done? Yeah, well, and that comes up for the uh, for some of the things that I want to say about this movie. Okay, so are we, are we ready to talk about this? Uh, sure. Well, there was one topic with the World Series that I wanted to say that I... I oh, go I for it. I maybe jumped the gun it. a little bit, sorry. Go for it. The, the whole thing with you, Darvish, and uh, Yuri Gurriel. Oh, is this the racist thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it bears mentioning just because at mass at mass today the priest actually preached about it. 
Oh. Which I thought was awesome. Because he and I, because he agreed with me. That's partly why. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not to say that that's the only reason, but, um, uh-huh. <laughs> so one thing that was really interesting was that this week, for those who don't know, one of the Astros players was caught on camera doing something terrible, which was, mm-hmm. um, speaking a racial slur towards a Japanese pitcher that he had just hit a home run off of and making a racially insensitive gesture about the picture yeah. as well, which was terrible, yeah. and it was caught on camera, and it was broadcast, <clears throat> and then it became a source for the interviews after the game, and that's what people wanted to talk about, not his heroic, you know, home run that saved the game or whatever, but about this awful thing that he did, yeah. and then it became a whole thing. Okay, long story short, uh, Guriel, he apologized on camera. He extended an invitation to meet with you, Darvish, and to talk face-to-face and apologize, and he wanted to extend his regret and remorse and really ask for forgiveness. And then the pitcher, he posted on Twitter, really, I mean, the priest was talking about today, it was a very beautiful tweet saying, saying, you know, uh, I forget the language exactly, but there was something along the lines of, you know, how can we take this as an opportunity to learn? Are you looking it up? Yeah. No one is perfect. That includes both you and I. What he had done today isn't right, but I believe we should put our effort into learning rather than rather than to accuse him. If we can take something from this, that is a giant step for mankind. Since we are living in such a wonderful world, let us stay positive and move forward instead of focusing on anger. I'm counting on everyone's big love. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. That's huge. Yeah, and the priest preached on it today. And it was all about reconciliation and, you know, apologies and forgiveness, etc. And what was fascinating about this whole event is that um, when when, you're, when uh, Yuri Guriel, when he apologized, Darvish responded this way, accepting the apology. And they, I don't think they met to reconcile, but there was a certain sense of reconciliation. Now, what ends up happening yeah. is, is that in Game 6 and 7, after this happened in Game 5, um, two things happened in Los Angeles. So the game flew to Los Angeles. And two things happened. One was when uh, Guriel went to the plate to bat for the first time on Wednesday against Darvish. He tilted his he took off his helmet and tilted it to the pitcher in a, in a gesture uh-huh. and gentlemanly gesture of recognition. Yeah, which was I thought really classy. But the other thing that happened is that all of the Dodger fans booed him Ooh. every time he went to the plate. They just booed him straight out, and yeah, I yeah. I was hurt by this because there was an there was no desire to move on and to yeah. let a person experience mercy. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was a striking thing that I wanted to point mm-hmm. out. That interesting that the the bystanders wanted. I don't know. I don't know what they wanted. They wanted blood or something. Yeah, vengeance. Yeah, and it's like what this guy apologized, and like the guy who was offended. Accepted his apology. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. And, and his apology spoke more than just the two of them. Right. Big love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was also kind of wondering, and maybe maybe this is me just being a little cynical, I was wondering how many people in the Dodgers fan place were calling Yuri Gurriel names mm, while, they booed probably him, while they booed him. All of them, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is exactly what he did. And how many of you are probably saying things about him under your breath that yeah. are offensive to him, but he can't hear you? Yep. Yep. I don't know. I just thought it was very interesting. Not to belabor it, but I just wanted to point it out. No, dude. Hate begets hate. I think that's right. Hate begets hate. And I think this is another good segue to our talk about Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So are we officially putting our spoiler mark? Spoiler stamp. So we both saw Thor Ragnarok. Yesterday. Okay, wait, hold on. I'm going to put this on pause for a second. I've got to go take bread out of the oven. <laughs> I'll be right back. Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay, so one of the guys in the house is a baker, and he wanted me to take his bread out of the oven. Oh. It smells really good. Okay. Sorry, okay. What were you saying? <laughs> uh, oh, we're beginning our conversation about Thor. Yeah. Yeah, so this is your official spoiler alert. Spoiler stamp. Turn, turn off now if you don't want to have the movie spoiled. Yes, and come back later. And come back, yeah, come back and listen after you've seen it. Or not. Uh, <laughs> or not. Now, David. Jonathan. We both saw this yesterday. We did see it yesterday. Not together, though. 
Not together. We live on opposite sides of the continent. That's right. Different countries, even. Different countries, even. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's jump into our our conversation here. Yeah. We both took notes, I think. Yeah, I took some notes in the theater. What I did was jot down a couple of ideas before the movie started. Mm-hmm. Me too. And then um, scribbled some stuff. <laughs> it was hard to see. <laughs> it was really hard to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is why I miss uh, Alamo Draft House because they have those lights. Yeah, it's true. Before we get to the nitty gritty of it, general thoughts. Um, just j- thumb, th- thumbs up, thumbs down, kind of thing. I don't think I can. I can do that yet. Okay. <laughs> I will give. Because... I'll give. Oh, go ahead. What's your What's your because? No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say my general impression, just to get the cat out of the bag. Uh huh. Is that I found it very enjoyable. Yeah. I found it very pleasant. Um, I thought it was very well well done, well crafted. I thought it was beautifully <laughs> shot and co- yeah. colorful. Um, we had mentioned in a previous episode about the humor. Um, yeah. I thought it was very funny. There were, yes. there were moments where I allowed myself to laugh. I laughed. I laughed out loud even. Mm. Um, yeah, and I found myself finishing the movie, and I jotted down the words. Uh, I wrote the word awesome, I think that says, because <laughs> of the darkness in the room. Um, awesome. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was an awesome movie. Uh, thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and I felt like it was good storytelling, and I felt like the movie mm. um, did a good job of having a beginning, a middle, and an end, and having yeah. Um, I don't know, a good story. I, I did have one lingering question, and maybe this is an indictment on the movie. I don't know. Um, my lingering question was, what was this movie about? <laughs> yeah. It was my lingering question. Yeah. Because it was a lot of fun, don't get me wrong. But I was kind of wondering, what was this movie ultimately about? Yeah, I had a similar similar thought. Oh, yeah? Speak. Speak to that. Well, just ending and being, okay, being like, here we are. What now? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't really clear, to me at least, why, yeah, motivations were unclear. I found. As far as, like, motivations for... A- anybody. Anybody. So, I mean, tell me tell me some of the things that you thought about the movie. So, like, you enjoyed it, at least, on some level, it sounds? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I would I would say, similar to what you said, it was... There were funny parts. Um, the action was pretty good. Um, I really liked the Valkyrie. Oh, that was awesome. That was my favorite part. Yeah, I thought she was... Uh, She's a really good character. Well, I was thinking like the particular scene where you saw the Valkyrie. Yeah, yeah, that was cool too. And they all died. Yeah, that was epic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there were some things that really kind of turned me off. Okay. And the biggest among them was really the just the tone of the movie. Like, and this was what I was afraid of. And one of the things that I wrote down in my preliminary thoughts was, is this going to be too funny? Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was. How, what what does it mean for it to be too funny? Well, how did the movie start? <laughs> it started by making fun of itself. Yeah, I think right. Say more. Um, well, that's sort of a general feeling I found with the movie is that it 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 is aware of itself. Yeah, and it knew what it was. It knew what genre it was, and I think this is maybe a sign of the brilliance of the of the writing is that it knows that we have been watching this series for ten years, and yeah. so. It's so aware of itself that it can make fun of itself. Yeah. But in so doing, it takes... I mean, that's that's a good thing because then I don't, as a viewer, think that the movie's taking itself too seriously. Yeah. Um, because I know that it's a part of a bigger saga. But then on the flip side, it takes me out of the movie, right? Like, it takes me to a point where the movie doesn't take itself seriously, so why should I? Right. And so for me, you know, the whole talking to the skeleton thing, that was okay. But the spinny thing when he was talking to Surtur... Mm-hmm. That got old very quickly. Yeah. I mean, people in my theater were laughing every time. Yeah. M- mine too. Mine too. And which also brings me to another point. They freaking... <laughs> they used Surtur as a throwaway character. Hmm. They just kind of made a big joke of him at the beginning. They did. That's like... That's like... You know, and, and that was the big criticism of BVS with um, uh, Doomsday. Uh-huh. That they just kind of made him this mindless brute. It's like, well... A, he kind of is that, even in the comic books. But B, look at what they just did to this incredibly powerful character. So anyway, although that he, was something al- that I was... Although he came back in the end, right? Uh, still, I mean... 
They were just making f- yeah. fun of him, you think? Or like just manipulating No, not making fun of him, just not really using him as a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and, and so that bothered you just because it's a squandered opportunity or like... Uh, yeah, yeah, I think they just... And it's part of this whole theme that they've been having of making light of all of their characters. Mm-hmm. So they make this incredibly frightening being something to laugh at. Yeah, I mean, I think... I didn't have the same hang-up you did about Surtur, but I felt in general that the movie took lightly... Um, like, there was this weird interplay of, like, taking it lightly and also it being catastrophically serious. Yeah. Which I think pe- yeah. some people will say that that's part of the genius of it is that you're doing Ragnarok without it being heavy-handed. Yeah. But, I mean, it's called Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like maybe you're giving me one example of a bigger thing that you feel, and I think I agree more with your general sentiment as opposed to this particular example, and that is that the movie is a string, it's making it into a comedy, right? There's a, there's, yes. a, there's a comedic element here that, like, even even the, what is it, Hela? Yeah. Even she has comedic lines, right? There's these sort of... Yeah. Yeah, they were all sort of these flippant characters that were kind of... We kind of had the Bishop... What Bishop Barron would call the Homer Simpson effect going on. What is that? Like, they were all kind of idiots. Mm. <laughs> and they the way they spoke, the way they... Uh, the way they acted towards each other. Yeah. They were just kind of blundering along. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why. I mean, I think the reason I'm okay with it and I, and I don't have a hang up about it is just because this movie presumes that you've been watching these movies for 10 years. Yeah. In other words, this movie would make no sense in isolation. And I don't mean narrative. I mean, even quality of like performance. Like there, there are a lot of like inside jokes. Or there are a lot of things in reference, at least side references to previous movies, or even just the fact that even the villain tells jokes. It's supposed to be refreshing for us because we're so used yeah. to this not being the case. Yeah. And so in that sense, I think the movie is accommodating, you know, a 15 movie story arc and trying yeah. trying to account for the fatigue of the fan. Yeah. Okay. You know, because if if you as a fan... I'll buy that. Yeah. And if you as a fan have been watching Faithfully, you need something fresh. Otherwise, you're just going to ask yourself, this is kind of the whole problem that, that Spider-Man Homecoming tried to fix, which is every movie cannot be a blue laser into the sky destroying the universe, be- <laughs> yeah. right? Because we need something fresh. And I think that's what this movie was trying to do, is to give you a fresh take that was a little bit more lighthearted. And so after a while, I just sort of gave myself to that and let myself, you know, laugh. Because I think there were still, like, think about how Hella, how menacing she was and dark she was. There was still a, a gravity to her that... I don't know. Didn't make me think that it was completely throwaway. Yeah. I get what you're saying. And I think that you do need to take into account <clears throat> the amount of time and effort and fatigue that has gone into this whole, this whole arc. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't thought of that. I like it. Now, now here's, here is a question, a second question that I had is what, what would you say this movie is about? <sighs> it, How do you want me to answer that? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> is it about anything? Like I can, is in other words, is it just an adventure, a fun sort of like you know, adventure through the stars, you know, uh, sort of inner inner quarrels between siblings and just kind of like get to a big epic fight in the end and it's over? Or is there is there a story here that is being communicated? Is there a lesson? What's the lesson of this story? What's the moral of the story? Think, <laughs> I think the main thing was Thor coming to terms with his role as leader of the Asgardians. That's what this movie was about, him taking his... Him him becoming the All-Father. Okay. That that was the... Well, if that was... <laughs> if that's what this movie was about, I don't feel like I got that until, yeah. until it just happens. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because even, even, even throughout the movie, there were some... Some of my favorite things were when he would say things like, a hero runs towards his problems and doesn't run away. Yeah. So am I supposed to understand that he's been running away from his responsibility of the throne? Well, but see, here's the problem. Wasn't that what Thor 1 was all about? Him wanting to, what, grasp at the divinity of Odin or something? No, no, he was, wasn't he sent to Earth? To learn his lesson? To, like, learn how to be a hero? Yeah, I mean, he was stripped of his worthiness and then sent to earth uh until he could prove his worth yeah to be a hero yeah yeah 
And so supposedly he's been a hero this whole time. Supposedly. Which I think is true. I mean, he's been very heroic. I do. I do as well. And I think for no, uh, for no other reason than the fact that he was not in Civil War. <laughs> right. And I think maybe that's on a meta level. This movie was trying to account for that. Like, this is where Hulk and Thor were when Civil War was happening. Uh-huh. Right. In case you were wondering. Now, if it... Well... What? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. So if this movie was about him claiming his rightful, like, cl- like taking his rightful claim to the throne, then that was kind of lost on me. Um, it, it just kind of felt like a story that, that just sort of had, it, it had, there was a basic narrative structure, but it, I can't really tease out what the moral of the story is. Well, yeah, you're presuming that there are morals to be had in the story. <laughs> and, I mean, I felt like all good stories should have a moral, shouldn't they? They should. Yeah, totally. And I think that's one of the things that I, that I really struggle with, especially when it's so lighthearted. That it becomes just um, entertainment, right? It's just yeah, it's just pure entertainment, and and in fact, when I do start having serious thoughts, I need to I need to stop it and laugh. Mm-hmm. I think for me, this was most most obvious. Do you remember the only time that we were actually allowed to feel something other than laughter and joy mm, was the moment of Odin's death. Yes, which was very yeah, they, tender. They held on to that. Yeah, they held on to that. That was the only time in the entire movie. Yeah, and to the extent, to the extent, I don't know about your theater. I, I expect it was the same. What were the people in the audience doing as Asgard was exploding? Um, laughing, laughing, because of that one guy. The guy making those jokes. Yeah, the Rock character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, what does that say? This man just sacrificed his home world, and we're all laughing about it. Or, well, we're not laughing about it, but we're laughing in the midst of it. Or, like, we're not even paying attention to the gravity. We're just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're, la- we're laughing. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, see, but none of this, it's funny because, like, none of this comes out while, you're, while I'm watching the movie. Like, this is, while I'm watching the movie, it's just easy to be swept up in, in the humor of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Almost to the point where I felt like the writing was a little bit forced in terms of, like, the laughing didn't, like, I lost a lot of the dialogue that came immediately after the jokes because yeah. there was too much laughing going on. Um, mm-hmm. No, but you're, you're, that point is striking, and it's got me thinking, like, what, when a movie gives you a moment of humanity and not just, not just a moment of jubilation and laughter, but a, a real moment of brokenness or a moment of, of serious, you know, recollection, then if the movie doesn't give me a chance to be suspended in that, yeah, then it's giving me the quick trap door. Yeah, the, the death of Odin was the only as far as I can remember, was the only moment sort of of silence that we got. Where you were allowed to be suspended in the feeling of loss, yeah. of lament. Yeah. But even the movie itself, it was silent. Mm. No, that's really beautiful. Um, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to think about that some more. I like that. Um, here's Maybe this is an extended question to that point. What, what was the cost of all of this? Like, what, what did it cost? Like, in other words, okay, so like, where, was there any sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice in this? Did they, sac- yeah. did they sacrifice Asgard? That that was that the sacrificial thing? Like this is what this is how much it cost to do the good. Yeah, that part didn't come through. I don't think. Now something that I was wondering, and this might be the sacrifice. It, they just didn't kind of explore it at all. Odin told Thor that Hela's source of power, just like yours, is Asgard. Mm-hmm. So it was his sacrifice power mm. in order to take her down that he had to sacrifice his own source of power as well. Now, we we don't know that. It didn't come out very strongly in this. But that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And it, it could have come out a little bit more pronounced in the movie, right, where you had you had him maybe feel when Asgard exploded, like him falling out of his yeah. chair or something. Yeah. Because he had a certain loss of power. Would that work with the narrative that they that they built through the whole movie? That you know he's just this great hero that you know I don't know. Now, okay, so here's so I have two questions for you. One is there's a little bit of a loophole uh, that I'm noticing. Uh-huh. One is how is it that Hela can wield Mjolnir? Okay, so this this goes to another kind of frustration of mine. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that whole the hammer being shattered thing? I was okay with it. Uh, I knew it was going to happen because of a trailer, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is frustrating. Um, 
I was fine with it, but it did not have the effect on Thor that I thought it would. Yeah. So, so that's an interesting question, because in the movie we sort of learned that, you know, and I actually really like this line: "Are you the god of hammers, or are you the god of what are you the god of?" Yeah, I that was probably the funniest line in the whole movie for me. Um, yeah, and it was funny because uh, the reason I laughed so loudly in that one is because, other than the fact that I'm just a loud person, is because <laughs> because it was funny, yes, but it was also true. Yeah, and so like this hammer being a what what was it like a conduit? A f- uh, what do you call the focusing thing? Um, a conduit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was it was meant to focus his power. Yeah, to yeah. be his power. Right. Because um, this is the first time we've yeah. seen him wield lightning. Well, okay, so that's another point. So footnote, footnote that for a second. Um, so taking out this whole, you know, thing of he has been Thor and his hammer for the entire existence of this comic book character, uh, that we're all of a sudden separating that. Okay, that's happened in the comics. But it has also been in the comics that the person worthy of Thor's power will wield this hammer. Mm-hmm. To the extent that other people who are worthy sort of become Thor. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, I think the hammer does have a certain amount of power bestowing Thor's pa- to bestow Thor's power. Mm-hmm. And then just to sort of say, oh, well, JK, that's kind of how I felt. That the, that the movie was forgetting that he is powerful, but he's also wielding Mjolnir. And Mjolnir, yeah. Mjolnir has power as well. Um, yeah. Oh, actually, no. This is actually. I think I understand what you're saying now. Um, in Thor one, he he has no powers. Yeah. Because he was stripped of his hammer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Boom. There it is. <laughs> so, there it is. <laughs> he, he was he was literally cast out into Earth without his hammer, and he went to the hammer and tried to lift it and couldn't because he wasn't worthy. And he could not. Yeah. And in this one. He, you get rid of the hammer, and now he truly finds his power. Yeah. There's the contradiction. Okay, I think we need to do something for our listeners. Okay. Um, why? Because we have listeners that don't care about this. <laughs> yes. Why does it? Why do we care so much about these? Like, okay, for example, why does it matter to you and to me? Because I think the reason is the same. Why does it matter to us so much that Marvel has changed the story from Thor 1 to Thor 3 about where he wields his power? Why does that matter to us so much, and why do we care so much about these things? Or in other, in other words, why should our listeners care? I think for me, you know, when we watch comic book movies, and we've talked about this, they sort of help us to realize not that we're living in this fantasy world and we're trying to escape reality, but we're trying to find deeper truths about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so just to have that sort of as whimsical as it can seem sometimes, Mm -hmm. that this fundamental aspect of who I am is sort of dependent on how I feel that day, I find something wrong with that. Say, Say more about that. I'm not following you exactly. So for this movie especially, it was nice that Thor's power came from somewhere other than himself because he can trust in that. Mm hmm now he can only trust in himself, hmm. especially since Odin is gone. Right. So what does that say to me? You know, can I only trust in me? <laughs> I don't want to think that. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Right. Um, and the, the source of your power is yourself. Be- believe in yourself and you'll have all the power in the world. Yep. Yep. Nothing is conferred upon you. Everything is internal. Yes. Yeah, that's dangerous. And, and it, so, so my... I'll go maybe on a more meta level, which I think you agree with anyway, is the reason I think you and I care about these movies so much and I think that we take them so seriously is because we know that they're the movies that all of our students watch and absorb and are entertained by and then are being taught lessons that they're not reflecting on. (laughs) Yeah. And so I I feel a certain responsibility to do some of the reflecting for them because... You know, so the, the, I'll summarize my point this way. Uh, when we were uh, in Dallas teaching and uh, BVS came out and Civil War came out, and my kids were upset that I kept saying that Civil War was a bad movie and that Batman or Superman was a great movie, um, and I kept yelling at them about that. Um, <laughs> what, what they kept, Do you do that? No, no. 
Um, their their <laughs> accusation was, Mr. Lugo, you think about these movies too much. And I said, yeah. gentlemen, you don't think about them enough. Yeah. Is you you are and I think I think parents are have an intuition about this as well, right? They watch movies before their student their kids do because they want to know what their kids are absorbing. Yeah. And I feel a certain responsibility to that as well because these movies are so popular and these stories are so popular that they have a lot of impact on the subconscious of the people who watch them, right? What what is the moral of the story that you're taking away from this? Yeah. And if the movie fails to do that with uh, uh, integrity to tell a good story, then I'm going to be very critical of it. Not because I think, you know, the most important thing in the world is what the latest comic book movie is doing. But yeah. the most important thing in the world is what are people yeah. ingesting? Yeah, there's a certain engagement that we need to have with pop culture. Yeah, and also, I mean, you've said this very eloquently before, is that comic books are epic poetry. Like, this is this is shaping the mythology that shapes our civil discourse is that we have yeah. common mythology now because we can talk about you know what did you think about thor ragnarok we can have conversations like this so like you know when you engage someone at school tomorrow and say hey did you watch this movie and you start talking about what makes a movie good or bad and did you enjoy it then you start talking about the good the bad the yeah. just the unjust these are our epic fairy tales yeah they are the conduits by which we can have conversations on a deeper level yeah which is, for me at least, why it's really frustrating when, like, I can just imagine having conversations where people are can only focus on the fight between Thor and Hulk. Mm-hmm. Or the fight in Civil War. Mm-hmm. It's like, well... Or just focusing okay, on the humor. Okay. Or focusing on the yeah, humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that it was so funny, right? Like, it's, it's... It's such a small aspect. Well, it's looking at the finger and not looking at what the finger is pointing at. That's right. That's right. You know, it's getting obsessed with the, the medium and not... With the matter, the substance. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like, as you're pointing out, I mean, I think the thing that you're helping me see a little bit is that, um, you know, laughing at the destruction of, of, uh, Asgard is, that's, that's shocking. And I, I didn't even, yeah. I didn't even notice it until you pointed it out. Like that's, that's a, that's a message there. But also there's a message about, you know, there's a message there that there's always a, a form of escapism that, you know, you don't have to feel sad. You can just, you can just laugh. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but then also what you're saying about the source of our power. Like, is the source of our power within ourselves or is the source of our power something outside of us? Yeah. There's another aspect of that final scene that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. What were, what were your thoughts as the population of Asgard were leaving and headed to Earth? Well, um, <laughs> I mean, I had to say... And did you find it too heavy-handed? Well, I mean, I'm assuming that you're talking about the Moses... Crossing the Red Sea, the Noah getting into the Ark. Nope. All of that stuff? Nope. No? Nope. Or, oh, I know what you're getting at. I know what you're getting at. Um, yeah, well, I had the same feeling when I saw Logan. Uh-huh. It was the same thing there. Yeah, yep, it was. How, how is it that these movies are communicating to a political reality that we face in our yeah. world today? Which is... Yeah, and I even refugees. Leaned, yeah, I leaned over to the guy next to me and I said... Refugees. And I think that's okay, because this is the whole point of your epic poetry observation. Yeah. Is these these stories should speak to the reality of the human experience. Yeah. So why why did that bother you? Um I don't know. I so in all honesty, anytime I feel a political agenda, even one that I might agree with, mm -hmm. I naturally push back. Hmm. Um, for good and for bad, I, I probably could be a lot more open to, <laughs> open to that. Right. Um, so I, I naturally kind of pushed back to that when I realized what was going on. Um, yeah, it didn't feel political to me though. I mean, it felt like this is, yeah. this is something, this is something true. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this, this happens in reality and it just so happens that it's happening right now. Yep. I mean, it, it would have been political if, you know, it became an allegory. Yeah. Where there was a, oh, look at, okay, there's, you know, there's that person in our society represented by that character. Oh, there's that. And it's like very clearly one-to-one. -one. Yeah. I think then it would have just felt very forced and very political and ideological. Instead, it was just, here is something that is true from Exodus to today, which is yeah. that people are displaced often. Yeah. And kind of picking up on that biblical theme, um... I, this is a little embarrassing, but I did not, 
I did not think Ark. Oh, Noah's Ark? When, yeah, when I saw that. Um, but what did you think of some of the other religious imagery? And I'm thinking of two scenes in particular. Okay. You thought of the scene when uh, the mosaic of Jesus was laying on the ground? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you <laughs> and you also <laughs> thought of... Uh, <laughs> what was the other one that you thought of? Um, did you think of... I can't. I don't know the other one. I have some thoughts, well, but they're probably not right. No, well, I was just thinking of Jesus. We saw him twice. Okay, we saw him strewn upon the ground. Um, yeah. And what was the other one? Well, we saw him bef- when she when she was showing um, what's his name, Striker Savage. Uh, right. Oh, you mean Bones? Bones. Yeah, Bones. Aomer. <laughs> Aomer. <laughs> uh, when she was showing him the mosaics for the first time, mm-hmm. we had this really. Clearly, Jesus. It was the same mosaic. Just we saw it up on the ceiling and then not on the ground. Mm-hmm. So they they highlighted it twice. Okay. Uh, I wondered why they made him so strikingly Jesus-like, and it seems like they're just trying to push that whole. Well, these aliens influenced these silly religions. Dude, really? Wow, I've not thought about that either. Okay, so that Thor influence. So the 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 Norse gods are uh, directly influenced by the, the Bifrost, yeah. you know, coming to Norway kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then... And somehow, somehow, because of this imagery, we're supposed to assume that he visited Israel? I don't really know. Oh, dude, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, that was certainly not explicit. Uh, I don't think, though, that you were reading too much into it. Because uh, that could certainly be drawn out as... as, as Entirely plausible uh, as a critique of the legitimacy of of Christianity or something. Yeah, yeah. And so in this in this uh, and what you're drawing the connection here is that there's an allusion to Thor just having appeared. Yeah, hmm. dude, I have to think about that. That's that's really good. I mean, it sucks, but it's 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 really it's a really <laughs> insightful thing to say. Yeah, and I mean the the scriptures are the, are the story of humanity dealing with the divine. Engaging, failing with this thing called mm-hmm. revelation. And so if it's in fact not <laughs> the story of humanity, but the story of these great mythic beings, then mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah. Luck- luckily, the movie was not heavy-handed about it. Totally. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I agree. I, just as easily as you've drawn this connection, I think someone could easily uh, contextualize it and say, no, that's one interpretation, but that doesn't have to have to be the yeah. interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's certainly illuminating to the point where I, I had to think about that some more. Um, because it's not unlike... It, it's not foreign to uh, Marvel to make these kinds of subtle, kind of atheistic uh, illusions in some of their movies. Um, and I'm thinking Bishop Barron had a great article about the, the Nietzschean quality of Age of Ultron. Ultron, yeah. Yeah, Super and... Man. There was there was something about in his article, which is fantastic to read, that he said it wasn't accidental because Joss Whedon was a philosophy major uh, when when he was in college, mm-hmm. and he is an atheist, and that mm-hmm. there was something explicit in the writing here about you know the 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 the, the Ubermensch, right? That there's the 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 one who is the perfection of power and and the the grasping of power, and so I, I don't think it's foreign from these stories yeah. to to have these things subtly written into the narrative. Which, again, yeah. reify, uh, re- re-solidifies why it is that I think that we should continue to watch these movies and critique them. <laughs> yeah. We need, yeah, we need to be, yeah, we need to be on that. Oh, man. Well, I have a lot to think about here because you're challenging me to look deeper than just being, I think maybe I was a little victim, too, to the the superficial things, that, the bells and whistles, right, can be a little distracting. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is why I kept asking, what is this movie about? Because I didn't have an immediate answer. Yeah. There are a couple of uh, other things that I wanted to mention. What did you think of Bones <laughs> playing Jack Sparrow? Jack Sparrow. He was playing Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Was he playing Jack Sparrow? I got the sense that he was sort of channeling his inner pirate captain with with his accent and sort of the... Yeah, I did not get that. Uh, I don't care in the, much about it either um, because... <laughs> <laughs> because I think that his character did what it needed to do. And it gave us the very, kind of like the only martyrdom in the whole movie. He gave us yeah. the only real conversion in the whole movie. 
Hmm. Interesting. And, you know, apart from the style, I think that his, his purpose in the movie was welcome, right? He, he sought to seek his own aggrandizement and yeah. his own status. And the only way that he found that status was by literally descending off of the ship and, yeah. you know, wreaking havoc on the Ooh. enemy. Yeah. So now it's my turn to be kind of, how did you put it? I got to think more about that. I was, I fell victim to his character. I just, I didn't yeah, like Yeah, but I think that he, he offered us conversion. Yeah. No, you're totally um, right. Which is great. And maybe it could have been a little bit more dramatic. Like we could have maybe actually seen him commit an act of execution. Luckily we didn't. Um, but no, I, I felt like his conversion was real. You know, he was hiding. I saw mm. him more as like a worm tongue character in, in yeah. the movie, especially when he was hiding on the ship, trying to pretend like he was one of, one of the normal yeah. people. Yeah. But then he stood in the light, he took out his guns, and he fought to defend the people of Asgard. And he saved, he saved, he saved that, ship. that ship, you know, and he died for it. And that was awesome. Yep. Yeah, bro. I like that. You completely changed my mind about that character. Well, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> that is so loud. 